Welcome to the podcast, Epic Youth, Cultivating Entrepreneurial Changemakers, where we provide ideas and tactics that teachers, youth development professionals, and parents can use today to cultivate tomorrow's entrepreneurial changemakers. I'm Dr. Beth Goldstein, and I'm the Senior Director for Academic Strategy at Babson College's Youth Impact Lab, where we work with experts around the world who are helping youth increase their agency, confidence, and resiliency by strengthening their entrepreneurial mindsets. Today, my guest is Cheryl Kaiser. Cheryl is a very special guest because she is not only the director and founder of the Institute for Social Innovation at Babson, but she's also the founder of the Youth Impact Lab because it was housed and her one of her ideas while running the Institute for Social Innovation. The Institute focuses on inspiring action for creating social impact where they define, or the Institute defines this simply as any activity that advances one or more of the UN Global Goals. Cheryl, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Beth. I'm really excited to be here. And I just want to make sure that I correct that. Actually, I I uh, I was fortunate enough to be uh, in the first cohort as an educator when uh, the then uh, dean of the undergraduate program, Dennis Hanno, uh, had the great idea of bringing young people here to Babson to learn our entrepreneurial thought and action mindset. And I, for the first year or two, was a faculty member. And then when he left, it was my honor to take it over and to really create then the Youth Impact Lab. So I just wanted to acknowledge Dennis's um, uh, energy in getting us started. And yes, it was the Institute that said, let's take it and let's do something really powerful with it. I appreciate that clarification. Um, it definitely takes a team, right, to make make it and help it grow and develop. So um, at this point, I'd love for you to tell us more about the Institute for Social Innovation, the work you're doing there, and, and how you're measuring your success or your impact. Yeah, thank you, Beth. So uh, the Institute, I came here to Babson in 2009, and uh, a year or so before, the then new president, Len Schlesinger, had really, uh, uh, had really created the strategy and mission for the school to say that Babson would educate leaders to create great economic and social value simultaneously. And as we know, that word simultaneously is a big deal because people create economic value, they create social value. But to use the entrepreneurial mindset, to use the change maker mindset to think about it simultaneously actually begged the question, well, what is the role of business in society? And so the Institute for Social Innovation really is a place at Babson that we really examine what is the changing role of business in society. We only need to look outside our doors to see the impacts of, the, of business on climate, on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, on uh, equity issues, on infrastructure issues, on health and education. The business community and the business world has a huge impact in addressing and solving some of our biggest challenges in the world. And as you know, the UN Global Goals represent some 
some of those challenges. And what we do is we help our students get on a pathway for creating impact in one or more of the UN Global Goals. And so that's what we do. We actually help our students examine the changing role of business and then get them on a pathway for social innovation. And I just want to stop for a minute because people might not know how we define social innovation, but we define social innovation as the practice of co-creating with usual and unusual suspects to create better outcomes for business and society. So it's a practice. It's co-creation and it's bringing different people together because we don't believe in breakthrough innovation. We believe in breakthrough interactions. Those breakthrough interactions with unusual and usual suspects to create something better is where the magic happens. So tell us about some of this magic. I know there's lots of cases and examples. I'm sure our listeners would love to hear some of those. Yeah, so I think the most, you know, for all of us, I think all of us look to Muhammad Yunus, who won the Peace Prize, as an amazing social entrepreneur and social innovator. Because what he did was he actually provided banking for the unbankable. That was bringing usual and unusual suspects together in a way that created better outcomes for business and society. Muhammad Yunus, as an economist, recognized that there was a way to create wealth in places that had never been created before. So in Bangladesh, he created uh, uh, he created Grameen uh, Bank and created the banking system System, which allowed unbankable people to be banked. And oh, by the way, not only lend money to people who were traditionally unbanked, but created a pathway for them so that the repayment rate was so high, probably more so than most of the banks we see here in the United States. So that's a perfect world example. What about at Babson? What are some of the pathways you've created for students? What's come out of Babson, which we all know, and has been a real game changer, and it truly is a social innovation of looking at a problem and that uh, and creating something new and different is Big Belly Solar. Here we were using lots and lots of people in the inner city driving trucks that were, um, you know, spewing all kinds of pollution, and primarily in the inner city where. Uh, many of the uh, underestimated communities are situated to pick up garbage. And the notion of bringing together a, a Babson graduate student and an Olin undergraduate to think of a solution is came up with something that's used worldwide. Big Belly Solar are these installate these freestanding uh, um, solar powered compactors whereby everybody can throw their uh, their garbage in these, whether they're recyclable or not, and they get compacted and don't have to be picked up as often. So rather than every couple of days, it is a longer period of time. It reduced pollution in communities that were the most affected, and they are beautiful structures as a reminder of solar energy and also compacting and recycling. So, I mean, I think that's one really terrific one. I think that there are people, uh, many people who have used their ingenuity in ways that uh, bring different people together. And that's what they did. They, you know, a lot of it is bringing people together in a way that think differently uh, and alike to create something new. <clears throat> that, that, that's a great example. And, and I appreciate your sharing that. So 
overall, how do you measure the impact you're having um, at the Institute on students? Is it the number of students who come to events or who start new social impact projects? Like what matters to you? What are you looking for to decide, yes, we're having, we're achieving our goals? Well, that's such a great question, Beth, because I think the the holy grail that everybody's asking right now is how does one measure social impact? And I think that we're on that journey. So when I first got here, you know, to Babson and nobody knew what social innovation or social entrepreneurship was, I measured our impact by, yes, how many people could we reach at big events? We started something with Dennis Hano called From Day One, You Can Make a Difference. We wanted to be able to, on day one, uh, signal to our students and families that when they come to Babson, they can make a difference. So the day, you know, literally their first day here, we had a sustainable feast where by at that time, our food uh, provider, Sodexo, and our team created a sustainable meal from, from sourcing to composting uh, and getting rid of food to the size of the plates we used, we had a sustainable meal. We introduced people to corporations who were doing good corporate responsibility. We brought in nonprofits. So, you know, we used to measure how many people get exposed to to this way of thinking. And over time, yeah, I really do want to look at, I want to create events that people come to, but coming to an event doesn't create impact. That's sort of a vanity metric. You know, when people say, how many people came to your event? It's really beautiful to say a thousand people, but that's not impact. That just happens to be a number of how many people have desire to come. And I don't know what we do with that. What I do measure is where people are when they leave Babson. Uh, we get a lot of people at our institute that keep calling us back after they've graduated so that we support them in the businesses that they go into or the businesses they start. Um, I would say that I spend a lot of time with alumni who are starting food businesses or social businesses advising them on boards. So it's actually when they leave here, when they've maybe gone into a business and then or gone into a consulting and then decide to leave, they call me back. A great example of one that I'll share right now is uh, we had a student who found out about us through a program we did during the summertime called Women, uh, Women to Women, uh, bringing in young girls from around the world who are high risk at being radicalized. And a group here in Boston brought them to schools to learn the entrepreneurial mindset and peace and negotiation. And she came and had met this woman, uh, had never, ever known about Babson, found out about Babson, applied to Babson, got a global scholar. And four years out, she reached out to me and said, Cheryl, you know, whenever I'm thinking about what I want to do with my life, I always go back to the Institute webpage and find out what you're doing because you were always that home for me when I was at Babson. And right now she's going to be working with me on a project that we're doing with the Berwyn Pathways. And she will be in a nine-month program to figure out what she wants to do next to find her purpose and meaning. So a lot of people come back afterwards, but also a lot of people come here and just want to have a conversation. I'd rather the impact of an intense conversation about what one does with their life and how they can embed uh, 
profit and purpose, those conversations are impact to me because they're thinking about the work we do. And so I think it's going to be long lasting. Uh, I've been thinking of doing an, uh, a survey uh, over the last um, 10 years just to see where people are and the impact our institute had on the way they think about where they are right now. I love that. That That's amazing. It's the little stories. It's those little movements to action um, that are so powerful. So you just you were just talking about this young woman's purpose, her meaning. I love and, and you always talk about your why, finding your why. Can you share with us your why? Like why? What do you care about? And how does that influence what you're doing at the Institute? Yeah, so really simply, my why is how do I use who I am, what I know, who I know to uh, support people who want to challenge the status quo and create change in the world where change needs to happen? That's what I do. Um, You know, if I look at these uh, things like um, Strength Finder and Predictive Index, I'm more relational than 99% of the population. I do everything through relationships. So I cultivate relationships of meaning so that I can actually gift those relationships together so people can do things. So that's what I do. I mean, my entire why has always been to um, somebody be uh, an advocate and an uh, and an activist around things that needed changing. I've been doing that since I was a child, whether it was when I was younger and uh, was marching for women's rights or against the Vietnam War back in the 60s or for social change in mental health or uh, for any of the movements I've been part of. So interestingly enough, I've been part of three movements in my life that have changed the role of business and society. And I never planned on doing that, Beth. It's just, like, as I look back and tell my story, it's like, oh my God, I can't believe that. So when I was in graduate school, I was part of designing what's called employees assistance programs today. Back in the uh, 70s, people understood at the National Institutes of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism that it wasn't just alcohol problems, which is usually what we, what showed up in the workplace, but people came with a lot of different issues and businesses needed to understand that people brought their whole self to work and that they needed to provide supports. And then we created policies around work-life programs that just about every company in the world has today and employees assistance programs. And then I was part of creating the corporate social responsibility movement back in the uh, early 80s uh, so that businesses understood that there were far more expectations on them than just paying taxes, employees, uh, putting up some ball lights in the community and being a good citizen. They had to do more because they actually had impacts that were far greater in the communities and they needed to do something about that. Yeah, very impressed as as always. So, I, you know, I'm I'm curious. I think of you as an entrepreneur, and I suspect you think of yourself the same way. But how do you define what it means to be an entrepreneur? Right? Because many people often think, oh, it's I. You have to start a business, right? We hear that misnomer um, or that definition. What What is your impression of what does it mean to be an entrepreneur? Yeah. So I never thought of myself as an entrepreneur. I only started thinking of myself as an entrepreneur when I was hired at the number one school of entrepreneurship. I learned how to spell it 
first of all. Uh, and after learning how to spell it, I really learned a lot about it through Len Schlesinger. And what I learned about was that it's really the creative process. So take away and debunk the myth that it's about starting a business or a founder. You know, if you look at entrepreneurial thought and action and the and the process of First and foremost, looking at who you are, what you know, who you know, the resources you have at hand, you know, engaging people on a conversation, taking an action. It's basically aligning interaction with outer action. I've always started things in my life. I never, I never disassembled it to understand that it was an entrepreneurial process, but I basically would always get a niche to do something or something would have to change or I'd have energy to do something and I would never realize it then, but obviously I started with what I knew, who I knew, and I took action. So I think anybody that takes action on something they care about, aligning an interaction with an outer action is is entrepreneurial. It's the creative process to see something happen. Uh, and it has something happens out of something you desire to see happen. That's as simple as that to me. And then when you surround it with sort of a process that you understand of experimentation and try something, if it doesn't work, you try again. I think most people that start things or do things or have energy to create something go through this natural process of you know, seeing it doesn't work and starting again, because it starts with an interaction. So I always think that interaction is your biggest driver, because if you want to see something happen, you'll take all these steps. But if something along the way doesn't work, you're going to keep changing it till it works until you decide you don't want to do it anymore. And we know that, you know, that's the entrepreneurial process. You act on your desire to see something happen. Uh, you go through the process and, you know, a lot of people after a year or two go, ah, I really actually didn't want to do that. I, I, I start lots of things, not just me. My team starts lots of things at the Institute. We have a lot of energy. We get momentum. We take action. And then after a year of realizing what it's going to take and is it really worth it and do people really want it, we stop it. So we're always in that cycle, that creative cycle. And so to me, I would debunk the myth that entrepreneurship is for people who want to only start businesses. The entrepreneurial mind is for people that want to see things changed. Uh, they want to see things come into being uh, and they want to accomplish something. I mean, it's that simple. And you, and particularly if you're starting from nothing. I completely agree with you. And I love the way you defined it. You know, we all have models of who we think of, who we admire in terms of, you know, an entrepreneur or somebody we look up to. Is there anybody who comes to mind who's, you know, you think embodies the your definition of what an, an entrepreneur? You know, I'm probably going to draw on people that I know inside of companies who are entrepreneurs on the inside, because those are people, again, I said that I've spent most of my life in the world of corporate social responsibility, and we now know what today is ESG, but I have worked with so many, and I didn't know this till I got to Babson, when I was looking at all the people who were leading corporate social responsibility efforts and sustainability and social impact efforts inside of businesses, I realized that they are some of the most important entrepreneurs I've ever seen because they are changing the role of business and society. So I think of Dave Stengus, who I first knew at Intel, 
who led all their sustainability efforts. He was an entrepreneur inside and meant a lot to a lot of us because Intel became a benchmark. He then went to Campbell Soup and he's now at Apollo. I think of, you know, my hero always, because I always use this story, is um, the founder of Grayston Bakery, uh, Bernie Glassman. I mean, think about what he did. He was the first real social entrepreneur who backed, 40 years ago, he's passed away. 40 years ago, in Yonkers, realized it was huge poverty, no child care, tons of incarcerated people coming back out on the streets. Yonkers was a complete and utter um, failure as a community. And he started a bakery called Grayston Bakery. And as he, as their tagline said, they baked they didn't uh hire people to bake brownies they baked brownies to hire people he created a bakery that gave people a way to be employed no matter what they uh what their background was it was the first open hiring strategy that is an innovation that is entrepreneurship that i look at today and is increasingly a model that the unilevers and many, many franchises are looking at because it's a way of giving people a second chance and it's a way of breaking poverty cycles by employing the unemployable. That to me, he's a hero of mine without a question um, because he created something that's changed a full system. And, you know, so those are people I think of, they've changed systems in significant ways. Those are great examples, especially Grayson Bakery hires a lot of formerly incarcerated individuals who, having worked in the prison system in, through education, and you've been involved with that as well, yeah. you know, those individuals' re-entry into society is is so challenging, so difficult among so many other areas, yeah. so important. And I, you know, I, I would also say one of my heroes is Erica Karp. Who started her? Uh, who started their her impact investing firm? She's in my mind. She is the benchmark for impact investing and really helping people understand that investing differently after being years and years in the traditional financial institution. That she really has come up with innovations for people to invest in purposeful, meaningful, impactful industries at large scale that are making huge differences in the world. Excellent. Thank you for sharing those. So let's talk about underserved communities and the role of entrepreneurship education. What do you think are the challenges and possible solutions for educators or youth development professionals and not just teachers to really help these young people in marginalized, underserved communities, help them understand that through entrepreneurial thinking, as as you've expressed it can really change their lives and their community's lives. So this might be a little out there, but one of the first times, the first year I was here at Babson, when Schlesinger, myself and my son went to a program at midnight called Boston by Night, started by Robert Lewis Jr., the current, he's now the current CEO of the Boys and Girls Club. And he brought us out because he had created a program whereby formerly incarcerated men walked the streets at night to keep young, underserved, underestimated youth off the streets to not be put into gangs or to be, you know, wooed into gangs. And we went out that night and I was talking to a young man and he told me what he had to do every day to get to school. 
I said, every day I kiss my mother goodbye. And she doesn't know if she's going to see me because her, his brother was killed in a gang. And he said, but every day I create unpredictability in my life because if I am predictable, I'll get targeted by the gangs. But if I find new and creative ways to get to school and not be predictable, my life is will be saved. And I thought to myself, most people, I would imagine, who live, many people, I should say, because I, I work with a lot of youth in the uh, Roxbury, Dorchester, Mattapan area with the base, many youth already have an entrepreneurial mindset. They don't know it. They are navigating uncertainty every day, whether it's whether they're just navigating uncertainty. They live in uncertainty and unpredictability in a lot of these uh, underestimated, uh, underserved communities. So the first thing I would say is don't assume they don't have an entrepreneurial mindset. They would never call it that. They're resourceful. And sometimes they're resourceful in ways that are illegal. And sometimes they're resourceful in ways that are survival oriented and other ways uh, they may be disenfranchised. So I think the entrepreneurial mindset is the most powerful mindset for underestimating communities and under uh, under resource communities because many of these families and children have learned how to navigate life uh, given who they are, what they know, and their resources at hand. So I think we have to first say, how do we codify it so they realize that it's, that it's an asset that they've already started to cultivate, and it's a way they can actually create greater value for themselves. So I think the lesson in this for me is I think that there's a lot we can learn by how people have already navigated uh, in under-resourced communities, and then how do we codify and put it into a mindset and practice that they realize can be more intentionally cultivated. I love that because the... Uh... Developing this resiliency only happens when you've gone through failure, right? You right. can't become resilient unless things have actually gone not in the direction you were hoping. Um, and even our youth curriculum is designed to, is a greater focus on resiliency and grit and, and giving these students a framework to develop confidence versus you need to know how to put a marketing plan together, right? Right. That, and right. that's what most people think of as entrepreneurship, but really it is, as you so well stated, um, framing the way they think about solving problems, whether they're experiencing themselves or they're seeing others um, and making a, a difference. And it's really, you're, you're really legitimizing and acknowledging that they have resilience. And so they're starting with a lot more than a lot of people are. So how do you take them where they are and then provide the education and the learning experiences by which they, the aha goes off like, oh, wow, I, this is what I do, but they aim it differently. It's really where they're aiming uh, and, and, and also uh, helping them understand that aiming it towards something that they want that they can actually get legitimately and they can get by using their own agency is so powerful. So, you know, I think when you and I did a little workshop at the base, you know, there was some aha moments there for, for young people and, and their families. And I think, I think it's the most powerful thing we can do, putting the entrepreneurial mindset, putting that, that practice and giving that practice to young people 
in under-resourced communities is probably the greatest strategy for success and wealth creation for them and a meaningful life. I love that. And on that note, thank you for sharing your insights, Cheryl. This was always great to have a conversation with you. I always learn something from your experience. Very much appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Beth. Thank you for listening to the podcast, Epic Youth, Cultivating Entrepreneurial Changemakers. We appreciate today's experts for sharing their insight. I'm Beth Goldstein, and I hope that you've learned some new ideas and tactics that you can use to increase the agency, entrepreneurial mindset, and resiliency of the youth that you work with.